Thank you for the welcome. It's such a joy. It honestly is such a joy to be with you, and um, particularly in this build-up to Christmas. My aim uh, with us today is to build up the, the wonder, the sense of wonder of uh, Christmas. Don't you think Christmas should be filled with a sense of wonder? Amen. But isn't it often the experience that it's filled with a sense of pressure, right? Is anyone else feeling the seasonal pressure right now with only two weeks to go and a lot of things to arrange? Is that just me? I've actually only got one present that I have to sort. I, I take the lead on one present, Charlotte's, and I, I play a sort of supporting role on many other acquisitions at Christmas time. But I'm already feeling the pressure um, to buy this present. In fact, this is no joke, I, I set my alarm for three o'clock this morning in order to bid on eBay for a present for Charlotte. Now, isn't that noble? That's a true story. I won the bid as well. Are you impressed? Yeah. I would tell you what it is, but she might be listening, right? So I'm going to keep that a secret between us. But that's the level of pressure I'm feeling to sort out Christmas. And I know that that's true for many of us. We should be feeling a build-up of wonder. Often it's a build-up of pressure as to-do lists mount, particularly because um, as commercialism rules Christmas, we find this pressure to have the perfect family experience. You can see here a picture like the perfect family scene as people, you know, perfect families in their country mansions wearing Marks and Spencer's jumpers and eating Waitrose dinners are enjoying this sort of perfect moment. And we see this little window into perfection and we think we've got to have this. We need to buy and work and our to-do lists grow to create this perfect family scene. But often behind closed doors, Christmas feels a bit more like this next picture. Is that anything... That you're feeling also, instead of a build-up of wonder, it can feel like a build-up of pressure, right? Well, listen, can I let you in on a secret? The perfect Christmas has already happened, and no one paid a penny for it, right? The original Christmas, yeah. The original Christmas was the perfect Christmas, and it didn't cost humanity a penny. So can I encourage us, just for a moment now, to crawl out of the commercial pressure... Put aside your to-do lists and your Amazon Prime wish lists. (laughs) Come out of that stuff and let's return to the wonder of that original Christmas gift, Jesus Christ. And um, I want to do that by looking at a passage that, well, actually has two women experiencing two unexpected pregnancies. Okay, so we're going to go there through the wonder of Christmas, through this particular story. Two women Two um, unexpected pregnancies, and despite modern technology, right, this can still happen today. Have you noticed that it is possible, despite modern technology, for a woman to become pregnant and not realize that she's pregnant until quite late on in the process? I actually, I'd like to share with you, before we get into the Bible story, I'd actually like to share with you a little, uh, a little audio file, actually. It's a, a little clip of a conversation, an actual conversation between uh, a, a man um, uh, who's concerned about his partner who's in a lot of pain. They're driving home in South Wales, our neck of the woods now. They're driving home in South Wales. There's a man, he's, he's concerned about his partner, and he phones NHS Direct, right? So this is an actual phone call. She's in a lot of pain, but she is definitely not pregnant, according to the partner. Have a listen to this. There's something seriously wrong with my partner. Tell me exactly what has happened. Um, She's just in a a lot of pain, and it's like as if she's trying to give birth or something, but she's not pregnant. The pain's in a normal area there. Yeah, she's she's actually got a large um, lump. So I went back to the limb? It's just coming out. It's like as if she's trying to give birth or something. Okay. But she isn't pregnant. But she isn't pregnant, no. 
No, no. No, she's actually giving birth. What do I do? <laughs> the baby's uh, crying and moving and everything. Okay. Is the baby breathing or crying? Uh, yes, yeah, breathing and crying and moving. Seems okay. <laughs> she's in a lot of pain. She's definitely not pregnant. And then you hear the baby cry, right? It is possible today, even in our modern world, to have unexpected pregnancies. Now, leaving that particular one aside, which I hope you found amusing, uh, we're going to turn to a Bible story where you have these two women, two unexpected pregnancies. One is an elder woman, uh, Elizabeth, uh, and she's pregnant. It's unexpected because she's possibly in her 80s, we're not exactly sure, and she's never had children. And then another woman at the other end of the spectrum, Mary, she's pregnant. And this is extraordinary because, well, she's the Virgin Mary, and we're going to read from Luke chapter 1, when these two women meet, and it all kicks off quite literally. We read in Luke chapter 1, verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, "'Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me?' As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her, that it will be accomplished. Notice the wonder in this passage, right? The original Christmas wonder. You have this six-month-old, what we would call a fetus, John the Baptist, inside Elizabeth. And as Mary comes in, now bearing in its early form the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, as Mary comes in, John leaps for joy in Elizabeth's womb. I mean, that is extraordinary. I mean, it's actually extraordinary what a six-month-old... Um, fetus can do anyway, if you read the detail. But the fact is, this wasn't just a baby kicking. I know that happens. Luke actually uses a word for exaltation. The baby exalted in the womb. It's like he had some kind of prenatal worship session in the presence of Jesus as John flipped over with joy at the arrival of Jesus Christ. And as the baby kicks off, did you notice the mother, Elizabeth, is filled with the Holy Spirit and she cries out in wonder at the mystery of what is unfolding before her and that then triggers Mary who bursts into a song called the Magnificat, My Soul Magnifies the Lord. Now can you imagine then the sense of the original Christmas wonder, right? Jesus Christ comes into this scene and it all kicks off in joy and wonder. My point is, wouldn't it be wonderful to imagine that for our own families this Christmas? Amen? No one pays a penny, but children and families are bursting with the joy and the wonder of what Christmas is really all about. Could you dare to imagine what that might look like in our own households if there was that fresh sense of Christmas wonder? Amen? So I want to take us, in order to achieve that, to the source of wonder, Jesus Christ, and then begin just to think about the symptoms of wonder, what it looks like when we experience this. So first up, let's think about this source of wonder, who of course is Jesus. Jesus comes into this scene in the womb of Mary, 
and wonder fills this household. Jesus is the source of wonder. And I want to consider the wonder of Jesus from a couple of different angles, if you like, or scales. Look down through the microscope at the detail of what's happening in Mary's womb. And then look out through the telescope at the scale of God's eternal plan being realized in this moment. Is that okay? Quick look through the microscope and a quick look through the telescope. Firstly, the microscope view of Christmas. Gaze into the mystery and the wonder of what Elizabeth is beginning to understand is happening in the womb of the Virgin Mary. I mean, we speak about the virgin birth. It's not actually accurate, really. The virgin birth is not not a thing. The birth of Jesus was a natural birth, if you like. The thing that's the virgin miracle is the virgin conception. That is, you have this teenage girl, Mary, who's never had sexual intercourse. There's no male involvement, and yet she is, a life is conceived within her womb. This is the mystery that we refer to of Christmas. This is what it centers on, is that life came into the world in this miraculous way in the virgin womb of Mary. And this life is none other than God's holy son. The angel Gabriel actually has to come to Mary to tell her about this, to forewarn her of the miracle. And she says famously, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel replies in these iconic words, the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. The miracle and the mystery of Christmas. If we peer down through the microscope into that womb of the Virgin Mary, something Something like this, we don't know, the the word overshadow, I think is a way of saying, you'll never fully understand this, it's overshadowed by mystery. But something like this is going on, the the egg of Mary is being fertilized by nothing less than the eternal divine life of the Son of God, such that what is now growing and forming in the womb of Mary is not only Mary's son, but eternally God's son. Isn't that an extraordinary thought? That in Mary's womb is the entry point for God into our human story. God is joining us, folks, and he joins us right into the woven humanity of a fetus forming in a womb. I mean, doesn't that just blow your mind? Peer in through the microscope and we fall back in wonder at what God is doing here. I mean, think about this. The the humility of Almighty God. Firstly, be it... Feel the wonder of the humanity of Jesus Christ. Here is Almighty God made vulnerable as a fetus. Here is Almighty God entering our human existence from the ground up and experiencing what it's like to be a human in our human story. I mean, it's mind-boggling, isn't it? No other religion... No other religion in any way gets close to this. A God who knows what it feels like to be a human. Extraordinary. The God who's vulnerable. The God who knows what it's like to be lonely and rejected. To feel pain and hunger and tiredness and even face the terror of death. This, folks, is our God. That's why he's the great high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses because he's been there. That's why he's the wonderful counselor who can guide us through our challenges because he's been there. (laughs) I remember speaking to a friend of ours who's a surgeon and he was talking about how his attitude to the whole procedure of patients coming in changed. He was quite sort of clinical and cold to their fears and angst. 
But then he had to have his appendix out. (laughs) So then he's on the table. He's under the knife. He's experienced what it's like. He had a new level of compassion and understanding. The point is, though God has not changed, yet in the humanity of Jesus Christ, we have a God who's experienced it, and he knows what it's like. Whatever we're going through, we come to our great high priest and our wonderful counselor, clothed in our humanity. Amen? The wonder of the humanity. And then, of course, the wonder of the divinity that nevertheless, whilst remaining what he eternally was, he became something that he wasn't. Whilst remaining the Son of God, in this incredible moment of the virgin conception, the Son of God, remaining what he was, became something that he wasn't, the Son of Man, Son of God, Son of Man, fused eternally the union of God and man unbreakably joined in the person of Jesus Christ. Now what this means is that that fragile baby is still the eternal son of God. God contracted to a span incomprehensibly made man. That's the mystery that we celebrate at Christmas. That's the wonder, right? This is our God. And that's why Elizabeth, who just got this, if you like, microscope view of what was going on in the little bump And the teenage Mary, she begins to peer in by prophetically and see the mystery of this, and she falls back and exclaims, "Why would why would why would I be 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 able to have the mother of my Lord come to me?" Now think about that. That is an extraordinary thing for an eighty-year-old woman to speak to a virgin teenager, right? The mother of my Lord particularly in Jewish ears. This is not House of Lords VIP. Lord was the term given to the divine name of Yahweh that God gave at the burning bush with Moses. And now it's like Elizabeth gets this revelation and here is Yahweh's son in the flesh. This is what we call the doctrine of the incarnation, right? Carne is a Latin word for meat, hence we speak of chili con carne, right? Is that making sense? Chili with meat, right? But when we speak of the incarnation, God in our human flesh, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, or as my favorite carol puts it, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail, the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. God is with us in the person of Jesus Christ. I've been hearing this phrase recently. People have been using it. I've been picking up on it. Um, When you want to speak about someone being committed, they've really bought into something. I've heard people say they've got skin in the game. Have anyone else heard this phrase? I quite like it, actually. It's like they've bought in. They've felt something. They've got skin in the game. Listen, folks, what does Christmas tell us? God has got skin in our game. Now, isn't that an extraordinary thought? He's not just praying for us from a distance. He's joined our human story in order to transform it from within. God's got skin in the game. Now that means when we say Emmanuel, God is with us, it really means something. It means as we turn the corner 
into all the challenges of 2019, we're going round the corner with a confidence that whatever else we face, Emmanuel, he's with us, not praying for us from a distance only, but by his spirit, mediated through his very human union of God and man, Jesus Christ is actually with us by his spirit, and he's not going away. He's joined himself eternally to our story. Now, I don't know about you, that gives some confidence, right? Because we don't know. Let's, be, let's just be honest for a moment. There probably are some enormously challenging things coming around the corner in 2019. I mean politically and nationally. I mean personally and locally. Who knows what we're going to face, right? I don't mean to frighten you, but it's pretty likely 2019 will have some fearful, anxious moments. That's reality, folks. Now, how do you respond to that? Well, either you can try and hide from it by having another glass of mulled wine and buying something else you don't need. I'm not against those things. But either we try and distract ourselves from it or we draw close to Emmanuel, who is with us, and we face it with confidence. That's Christmas. That's why he came. Christmas then, through the microscope, gaze into the mystery of the micro-forming God in the virgin's womb. Extraordinary. And then through the telescope. Christmas through the telescope is my way of saying, but don't miss the point here. The, the very small thing is absolutely key to a very big thing. God's eternal plan, stretching back through all time and history and forwards into eternity. This Christmas story is the hinge moment in world history. Can I say that again? Because that's the scale of it. This Christmas story is the hinge moment in world history. <laughs> However else you might write up world history, at the very crux of the whole story is the intervention of God in our human story in the person of Jesus Christ. It's the center of the whole thing. But we so easily, if we do manage to have a nativity scene in our commercial Christmas, we so easily isolate that scene from the rest of this enormous story and it doesn't make any significance. We think of this little stable scene with shepherds wearing tea towels and a donkey and some other animals, and we think, well, that's cute. Let's celebrate that for December, and then we'll put it in the loft for the rest of the year again, right? No, no, no. This small story is the key to the big story that we're all living right now. And it's only when we join the dots that we feel the wonder of Christmas again. I remember a couple of years ago, we bought our son a bike for Christmas, and that's a, not an easy one to wrap and hide under the tree. So um, instead of trying to that, do that, we put the bike behind the curtains in our bay window and pulled the curtains closed, and then we wrapped up a bell for the bike and gave him that, obviously a, a token pointing to, but he completely missed the point, right? So he opened the bell on Christmas morning, and he thought that was the gift. So he actually began to sort of sob, you know, I don't want a new bell, I want a new bike. <laughs> And the only, way to sort of, the only way to bring Christmas round for him was to draw back the curtains and show, of course, the bell was pointing to the whole bike. Now, now that's Christmas, folks. The, the story of the stable and the nativity scene, that's just the bell. But it points to the whole bike of what God is doing that makes sense of why it's so significant. And I think Elizabeth just glimpsed something of this, the way that... The way that everything was coming together on that holy night in Bethlehem, I think she glimpsed something of this in the little phrase that she said to Mary, blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now in Jewish ears, again, I think that's a significant phrase for this reason, that Israel carried, if you like, a pregnant hope 
that one day through their human race, God was going to send a savior. This hope goes right back to Genesis chapter 3, where just after human beings had fallen in rebellion away from their creator and faced exile and curses out in the wilderness, exiled from the Garden of Eden, just before they're marched out into the cursed wilderness, God speaks a promise, and he speaks it in conjunction with the serpent, the snake that had led them into this evil. And God says to this um, serpent, I will put enmity between you and the offspring of woman. And then listen to this. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now for the rest of the Old Testament story, the question is being asked, who is he? He who will be the offspring of a woman, the fruit of a woman's womb, he is coming into the world and he will be struck by the poison of this serpent of evil and yet he will crush the head of that serpent in victory. Who is he? Israel believed it was pregnant with this hope and so Isaiah 9 builds this prophetic anticipation as Isaiah says unto us, Israel, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Building this anticipation that one is coming into the story through Israel that will bring hope back to humanity. And here Elizabeth shrieks and says, Blessed is the fruit of your womb. As if to say... This is not just another baby. Here is the arrival of the hope of the world that's been promised in Genesis and will make sense right through to victory in Revelation. And here is the hinge moment, the arrival of the Savior. The snake crusher has come. Amen? The one who will destroy evil, that this world is not condemned to suffering and death and hell. The one who will crush the snake himself of evil and bring victory back to humanity. And Elizabeth, like with telescopic vision, says, all that story has come to a moment, a crux moment in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Folks, if you're a human being here this morning, (laughs) I'm trusting you are, everything came down to this moment for us. All our world history came down to this womb and this moment where God intervened personally in our story to turn it around. That's what Elizabeth spied. That's what brings hope to every human story because he entered into our world. Now I think this is why it's, it's the scale of it. When you see it through the telescope, it's the scale of it. I think this is why, have you noticed that Christmas is accompanied in the, in the Gospels by an extraordinary amount of angelic activity. Have you seen this? And you've got to understand that in the Bible, angels turn up when something major is happening. They are literally, the word angelos means messenger. They come with big news. And in the Christmas narrative, they're popping up all over the place. Why? Well, because heaven realizes it's on. (laughs) It's game on, folks. This is the big moment for world history. So angels are coming. But not just angels. Have you noticed... Not just angelic activity, but read the story carefully. Get get out of the sanitized, commercialized version, and you realize there's a real darkness around Christmas as well. Have you seen this? 
I mean, um, actually, our son Toby is in his Christmas play. I mean, great typecasting. He's playing King Herod, right? <laughs> and uh, he's, he's got one line where he says, find me this newborn king and I will destroy him. <laughs> and he's saying it with real feeling. He's practicing his line for the school play. I think it's going to be a bit of a, a, bit of a sort of pin drop moment, right? Because we like to think of Christmas as this very joyful, trivial kind of thing. And actually at the heart of it is, is demonic activity, is darkness, is hell desperately trying to stop heaven intervening in our story with success. I mean, if you want to read an alternative Christmas, have a read of Revelation chapter 12. I dare you to have a look at this. In Revelation 12, you see this apocalyptic vision. It's like um, Matthew's gospel shows us what's happening in the earthly realm. And then behind the curtain, Revelation 12 says, and this is what it looked like. This is the scale and the magnitude of it in the heavenly realm. It's a woman, Israel, giving birth to a boy, Jesus, and standing over the maternity scene is a seven-headed red dragon. I mean, you can see an artist's impression of it here. I don't know if this is helpful, but there you can see this, this demonic evil scene as this dragon tries to snatch away the child before it can be brought into the world successfully as our savior. I'm thinking of bringing out an alternative Christmas card range. Would you be interested? <laughs> don't you think we could have like a snake crusher and a seven-headed red dragon? I mean, I think they'd sell like hotcakes, don't you think? Anyone else coming in on business? We need to slightly capture this other side. Why? Not, to, not for macabre reasons, but because this communicates the scale of what's going on. All of hell knows if this happens, the victory of God in, human, in humanity is unstoppable because he's got himself into the story in Jesus Christ. Folks, it was game on at Christmas. It was the game-changing moment. And I want to encourage you as a result... In a commercialized Christmas that just has nothing to say, other than have another glass of mulled wine and drown your sorrows, it's got nothing to say to the darkness. Listen, the true Christmas has everything to say to the darkness. It's got victory and a conquering intervention in our story. Grab hold of that and face the challenges with hope. As I say this, I think, so how does this enormous telescopic story connect with our small story? I think of a, a guy that I know quite well now, and he, um, he uh, was an alcoholic, and he had decided, he was getting on in years, and he decided he hated Christmas. It just reinforced all the loneliness and the pain and the brokenness of family, and he hated it. And he said to himself, one more Christmas and I will kill myself. That was his decision. He was going to end it in January. I'll take one more Christmas and that's it. He was on his way to the off-license and he heard singing uh, at this event. And so he just drifted towards the singing. And he came in the back door of this Christmas guest service and he sat at the back and he said that the singing just... It was like it was a little bit magnetic. It called him towards itself. And then he said, and then someone read a scripture. And he said, and there was a phrase in that, and it, and it stuck in my mind, and it went on repeat. And, and it was this phrase, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot put it out. And he said, as I left that building, it was on repeat. Without me having to think about it, it was playing through my soul. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot put it out. 
And what was brilliant was, guess what his favorite time of the year was from then on? Christmas. Guess who was most active giving out invites to our guest services? This very guy who didn't end it all because the light has come and darkness cannot put it out. Amen? This Christmas... Meditate, look through that microscope at the mystery of what's going on and the telescope, the glory of the plan. And we will then experience, just very briefly, two symptoms of wonder that I would love to characterize my own soul and home and yours too. Number one is singing and number two is sharing. I just read through the Christmas stories, looking at all of them to think what are the common experiences that people have when they experience what it's all really about. And I notice, firstly, they all start singing. Have you noticed this? Mary and Elizabeth and Simeon and the angels, they're all bursting into song because human beings, when they feel like they're celebrating real victory, they sing. Have you noticed this? I went to the Millennium Stadium to watch Wales beat Australia at rugby the other week. Guess what 80,000 people were doing as they won? Bread of heaven, right? Singing are actually Christian songs, but singing because when we sing, we express that we're on the winning side. Singing then is not incidental. It's not just traditional with carols. No, no, we sing to celebrate the victory of Jesus. And I love some of the carols that we sing. The the words of Hark the Herald or O Come All You Faithful. Don't just sing them because it's that time of year again. Sing them because he's Lord. Sing them because he won. Sing them because it's true. Sing them over every power of darkness that knows because Christmas happened. Ultimately, they're on the wrong side of of the result. Amen? And we who have put our hope in the light that the darkness cannot put out, we sing because we are on the right side of that result. What did Mary sing? My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. What a great song that would be to put into our own tune and our own words in our own soul. May my soul not enlarge God. I mean, none of us can do that. He is perfect in his completeness. But what we can do as we sing is we can enlarge God's glory or profile in this world and in our lives. So don't sing the carols just because it's Christmas. Sing them with gusto. Let's turn up the volume, amen, and sing. I mean, in our own homes, as well as in our services, why not... um, What we've started doing at Advent in these different Sundays is we've been just gathering as a family, turning the lights down in the darkness and lighting a single candle. Um, There's something powerful about that, isn't there? One candle breaks the darkness. And then reading some scriptures and then singing a couple of these carols. And there's something that it brings into our home that restores the wonder of what it's really all about. Firstly, sing it. And secondly, we notice, share it. Everyone seems to then instinctively go and share the wonder with other people. Again, not being told to, just because it's what humans do. If you see something wonderful, you try and capture it in a way that you can share it. I mean, this is why we take so many photos today. Not just because they're free with digital cameras, but because when we see something that we want others to see, we try and capture the moment. I had an amazing experience, actually, in the Rocky Mountains just recently. I think you can see a photo I took here. Now, you can imagine for someone like me what this does, right? I started singing uh, in this freezing cold and until my camera froze and, and died. I took this photo because, well, because 
I've got other people who weren't there, and I wanted them to share it. That's why we take photos. I wanted something to take back and say, you couldn't have been there, but can you come and see this? Experience the wonder. You know, I, I think that's what we find in the Christmas story, that when the shepherds come to see Jesus, guess what they do when they return? We read in Luke's gospel, they went home telling everyone. They went home telling everyone, and all who heard were amazed by what they heard. I imagine Mary and Joseph had a few other visitors. Luke doesn't tell us about them, but don't you think some other people came to see because the shepherds came, and they went away, and they told everyone. Listen, folks, this Christmas, may we have many other visitors coming because we go away today filled with wonder again, and we can't help but sing it, and we can't help but share it. Amen? Invites at the ready, let's take the wonder of Christmas as far and wide as we can because the light shines in the darkness and there is much darkness around this Christmas. For all of our wealth and technology and modern advancement, we're not doing very well as human beings in our cultural moment. We have a lot of darkness around, but we have light in this story and we must share it. There's a lot of anxiety around, but we have the Prince of Peace breaking into our story, and we must share it. Amen? So can I urge you, firstly, this Christmas, come to the source of the wonder, very deliberately, Jesus Christ. Gaze through the microscope at the intricate detail of what God did in Mary's womb and celebrate it. Peer through the telescope of the grandeur of how this has changed world history and celebrate it. And then let's sing it and with everyone we can, let's share it that there might be joy to the world this Christmas in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.